Hello. There we go. That's better. It really is good to see you all. I cannot believe that yesterday, this time, I was standing in snowing, unbelievable snowing, like that thick of snowing, um, in Richmond. And uh, beautiful family photos. We don't often get that. It's the first time I've actually been in proper snow like that. And uh, to be back in Durban, what amazing country, city we live in. I mean, now we're kind of in this, you know. It's still a little bit chilly. When I got in my car this morning because we stayed overnight, it was 0.5 degrees. My car was like, hey, it's cold here. Flashing, you know. It literally was. It started flashing, the, the cold uh, temperature thing. But um, it really is a privilege. It's amazing to worship, guys. And I was, I was thinking this morning, actually, you know, a small band doesn't equal small worship. Because a band doesn't generate worship. Our hearts generate worship. And so a church is a worshipping church. A people is worshipping if we've got worshipping hearts, which is what I'm actually going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to be talking, talking about how the, the holiness of God evokes worship in our hearts. And it's been quite interesting. We had a meeting, uh, the, the band leaders, we had a meeting this week. And I kind of didn't line the two up. And just as I was going through this Revelation chapter 4, I realized actually this text is about worship. And so we kind of have just, it's just lined up. Uh, Peter Rasmussen was talking to us as pastors on Thursday night. A whole bunch of the NCMI pastors got together. And one of the points that he said that he learned about this time, he said this, our worship needs to be more significant than our preaching at this time. Our worshiping together. You know, you kind of, it's never, you never go without the word, but actually our worship needs to be significant in this time. And I think it is significant that we worship for longer than we preach in this church. So generally our worship times are longer than our preaching times. And um, I just find God is, God is teaching us to worship. Um, not just in corporate worship, but in personal worship. This week, I've just been, uh, the, the song that was written is a song called We Fall Down by Chris Tomlin that was written off the back of this text that I'm going to do this morning. And I've just been listening to it over and over again on repeat on my, on my iPhone thing. And it's just been amazing just, to, just to, to worship. So, if you can turn to Revelation chapter 4, that would be wonderful. And um, I do want to make sure that I'm... Where's this thing here? Revelation chapter 4. What I would like you to do is something a little bit different. I'd like you to not to turn to your Bibles, actually. I'd like you to close your eyes. And with your sanctified imagination, I'd love you to imagine what I'm going to read now. So just kind of close your eyes and just imagine what do you see when I, when I read this. Because it's so important the, the, we, we truly only really worship God when we can fully see and understand who He is. And um, this text, I believe you'll see, I'm going to get to why, why I say that now. So just close your eyes and imagine this scene. Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had... And the voice I first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. And it said, come up here 
and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front and behind the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders worshipped fall down and worship before him who sits on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and ever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. How's that picture in your mind? Beautiful picture. The holiness of God, when we have a revelation of the holiness of God, it evokes worship. And this text in particular is just so packed with theology and all sorts of rabbit trails and you could get so caught up in so many different things here. It's just so full. But what I want to do is I want to talk about just some of the imagery there, and then I want to get into how the holiness of God evokes worship in our hearts. First of all, it's beautiful to see for John, God opens the door for John to see something of his heavenly throne room. And uh, commentators say that the tenses and the phrases used there indicate that the door was opened by a, de a de deity and remained open. So it was opened by God and then remained open. And so often, I think what we do in our charismatic Pentecostal worlds is we try to force open a door to have an encounter with God. And you can't do that. You've got to allow God to open the door. You've got to posture yourself to walk through the door that God opens. So on the one hand, we can't create spiritual encounters. We've got to posture ourselves for God to do it. On the other hand, we can't negate spiritual encounters because God wants to open the doors. And I think you can fall off the horse either way. 
The second thing, just out of this picture, is you see that the holy God rules from a throne. At the center of everything, friends, is an occupied throne. Though there is chaos on earth, there is a throne that is unthreatened in heaven. And we've got to keep reminding ourselves that whatever is happening here, there's a, there's a throne in heaven that is undetested. And never ever been defeated. Always victorious. Undefeatable throne. And what it shows is that Yahweh, this God that we serve, oversees all of history. Even if the portion that you're living right now is not what you would like it to be. All of history is overseen by that throne of God. You must never forget that. What's also interesting is that John sees a throne. He doesn't see a person. So this is a big theological thing because God is not a person. He's a spirit. Jesus is the man, God, who is a man. But God is a spirit. So you can't see him. He's not embodied. All you see is the throne. You, you see the effect of him. A throne that rules and encounters and glorifies. And, and around this throne, there's all sorts of things happening. And the way that God gets depicted here is in colors. Amazing, huh? He's, he's depicted in this, in this one color called jasper, which is like a diamond clear stone. And he's depicted by another color called carnelian or sardis, depending on the translation, which is a blood red stone. So he's depicted by this clear diamond kind of color stone and this blood red stone. And there's this color around the throne room, uh, the throne of God. And not only that, there's this rainbow that is not a normal kind of rainbow because it's got emerald. It's, it's, it's like a green hue rainbow around him. It's fascinating for me that just he looks up to, and, and, and you think, well, what are you going to see? He sees, he sees a throne room and he sees color. See, God, God, friends, the creator God, that's why we can't ever, that's why the first commandment is don't make an image out of me because I'm not an image. Whatever image you think you can put me into, it's not going to be sufficient for me. Just know I'm ruling, and I'm colorful, I'm creative. It's quite amazing that, that Jasper as well was the first stone of the breastplate of the high priest. And Sardis or Carnelian was the last stone of the breastplate of the high priest. And so it kind of it speaks to God as the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's over all of history. He's over all of our lives. He's over all of our fears. He's over all of our anxieties. He's over all of our calls. He's over all of our being and our living and our children and our futures and our history. God is over it all. He's the beginning and the end. We've just got to posture ourselves and believe in faith in this God that is ruling there's this wonderful rainbow, and when I say rainbow, what do, you, what do you think? You think of Noah, you think of the promise that God made. 
The rain, remainder, the rainbow is the reminder to us that God is, a, is committed to his covenantal promises. So as John has this encounter, he sees this God that is all ruling and powerful, beautiful color, and he, and he, and he instantly re- understands God is committed to my covenant to humanity. The throne speaks to John and he says, I can do whatever I can because I rule. And the rainbow, the promise of God says to him, I will fulfill this word to you and I cannot do otherwise. So we live in this God who is sovereign over all things that is for us, not against us. Isn't that incredible? Imagine that moment. Imagine what, God, what John absorbed in that moment when he saw this this place that he saw in the Spirit. He goes on and he sees 24 elders sat on lesser thrones. So God is the throne, and there's these lesser thrones because God is the ultimate throne, no higher throne. He's holy. No matter what other thrones exist there, he is the throne. He is the God of God. He is the Lord of Lords. And so John is getting this first-hand encounter, yes, I've always believed this, but now I understand it. Now I see it. Now I've got something more than what I had before I saw this. And he sees, and these 12 uh, thrones that different commentators say different things about what they mean, and there's all sorts of rabbit trails in this uh, image. But one of the commentators, which is one of the kind of pictures of this, is the, 12, the 24 thrones or the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles and symbolize the complete people of God. So God is above, and the, and the complete people of God are represented by these thrones that, are, that surround His throne. And they're dressed in white, righteous before God. And they have golden crowns on their heads. They're victorious before God. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. And from the throne, there's proceeding lightning and thundering and voices. And, it's, and for John, that would, have, that would have brought images of uh, uh, Moses up the mountain receiving the, the law and the, and the power and the lightning and the thunder. and the, It's just raw power from the throne. And at the same time, there's the sea that surrounds it. It's a sea of glass. And, by, and, and the way that the language works, you don't know, is it a glass that looks like a sea? Or is it a sea that looks like glass? You, you, you're not quite sure. But whatever you know, it's the most delicate, fine, beautiful, peaceful thing that exists around his throne. In the midst of the thunder and lightning and the other thrones, there's this incredible peace. The most fragile, you think of just beautiful crystal glass. You just touch it and it'll break. It's just around his throne. It's absolutely magnificent. And then these four living creatures that are flying around the throne. Full of eyes. No, they, they, they're not instruments, they're not mere instruments or robots. They are, they are seeing perfectly, and they are understanding perfectly. 
They, they know and they understand and have greater insight and perception than any human. And their natural response is to worship Him. Holy, holy, holy. In, the, in, the, in a similar picture in Ezekiel, it says that one creature has four faces, but this one seems to say that there's four creatures, but the one looks like an ox, the greatest of domesticated animals. The one looks like a lion, the greatest of wild animals. One looks like a flying eagle, the greatest of flying birds. And this human face, who is the greatest of all, surround him. And they just keep, there's all this imagery which you kind of look at and think, wow, what does that mean? And they're saying these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that word Almighty carries the, the idea of the one who has his hand on everything. So rich with imagery and so rich with power. It's, it's, it's where they recognize he's got his hand on everything. Almighty, Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. The God that is eternal. The God that is from the beginning to the end. The first and the last. The one that is without end. This God Yahweh is like no other. He is the Holy One. And every time these living creatures worship and say these things, which is, it says, day and night, they continually began to, continue to, it says the 24 elders around there just begin to worship as well. And they do three things. They fall down, they lay down their crowns, and they begin to shout out. Snapshot of worship. Heavenly worship. And, these, and what, these, what these 24 elders do, they call us and they invite us and they're summoning John in to join in this anthem of praise and worship. I want to talk about those three things because those three things characterize this snapshot of worship we see in heaven and I believe it should characterize our worship here on earth. If we, if we are like those beings with eyes all over us and could fully understand and could fully see who God was, friends, this would be our response. And I continue to pray for us to have a revelation of this holy God. Have a revelation of who God actually truly is. The first thing that they do is they fall down. They recognize that ultimate worth belongs to God, not to me. They fall on their faces. They say, Lord, it's not about our honor. It's about your honor. We honor you. We can't, we can't stay standing in the midst of your presence. We've got to fall on our faces. We make our honor in true worship. Nothing compared to his. 
You see, friends, humility is recognizing who God is and who we are. It's not about making less of yourself. It's about making more of God and putting Him beginning and end of our lives. And true worship starts there. They, they fall down. I've been saying, God, I want to I see, I want to have a revelation of this because are we in our private lives and in our public lives falling down before God in honor of Him? If we saw this throne room with all its contrasts, with all this magnificence, this awesome power, we would fall down, friends, before Him. I just thank God that by the blood of Jesus, we have relationship with that throne, that power. And that by the blood of Jesus, we can call Him Father. It is absolutely a privilege when you think of who God is and who we are. We have such an incredible, privileged understanding of this world and how things work because of this relationship we have with God. The second thing that they do, though, is they lay down their crowns. They fall down before him, and then it says, they lay down, lay their crowns before the throne. They take their crowns off, and they lay it before the throne. You see, if God is worthy of glory and honor and power, then he should get the crown, not us. And they, they recognize this, that they, he should get the crown. I shouldn't be wearing this. This is not mine. This is yours. There's two beautiful pictures that commentators uh, bring out around this. And the one is an uh, allusion to the uh, to practice in the Roman Empire. The emperor of Rome, who would rule over many lesser kings, would have a day when they would come to him and they would lay their, their crowns down before him and to pay homage to him. And then what would happen is the emperor would come, would take the crowns and give them back to them and put them on their heads to demonstrate that their crowns, their right to rule, their victory came from him. That's the one picture. You see, friends, everything we have came from him. And when we understand that, it evokes worship in our hearts. The second image or that, that this, these crowns speak about is it's, it's called the Stephanos crown. It's the crown that is given for victory, not for loyalty or royalty. It's given for victory. And these crowns were, were the achievement that a winning athlete would receive at the Olympic Games. And the image is one of the victory was ours, but God, it actually wasn't mine, it was yours. And we allow God to put the throne back in our head and say, now go and do more. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture that all achievement, that all, all reward, that all award comes from him. And in worship, we give it back to him. And this, there's this transaction that happens in worship where we give it back to him and he gives it back to us. 
And what's incredible is they all do it. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's arguing. There's no divided opinions between the 24 elders. There's no sex parties, schisms. There's no, there's no one is envying everybody, one another's crowns. There's this just worship to this God. Because you see, friends, when we actually have an understanding of who he is and what he's like, all of those things pale into significance because it's so vastly inferior to the power and the glory of who he is. They fall down and they lay down their crowns before him. And then lastly, they shout out. They lay down, they fall down, and they shout out. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by the will, by your will, they were created and have their being. You see, friends, worship, worship is not about inventing nice words to say about God. Worship is the recognition of who God is. Who He already is. It's the recognition of what He has done and what He's promised to do. It's the recognition of how worthy He is. And it's, the, it's, it's declaring who God truly is and what He is like and what brings. And just by doing that, you're bringing Him glory. We bring him just by declaring, God, you are good. That's why the songs that we sing are meant to be about him, not about us. It's declaring who he is. And the wonder about who he is brings him glory. You see, friends, worship is about turning the truth that we learn back into prayer and praise. The truth that we know about God back into prayer and praise. That's why the songs you sing in our worship songs are so important. They bring glory to God when we, when we come together and we begin to sing and we begin to praise Him. Receive worthy. You're, you, you're worthy of all glory. Praise, worship, and adoration. You, you're worthy of all honor, honor. You are so valuable. You are so precious in our sight, God. They sing. A power and strength, they're yours, Lord. By your will they were created, and by your will they continue to exist. It's amazing, eh? And they just begin to declare what is obvious before them, and it brings glory to God. You see, friends, praise puts persecution, poverty, plagues, and pain into perspective. Praise puts persecution, poverty, plagues, and pain into perspective. Compared to the throne, nothing that we go through is comparable. That is why through the ages, men and women have been burnt at the stake rather than denounce the throne. Rather than 
put a shadow on the throne. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather be burnt alive. Imagine. Worship puts all of that back into perspective when we see and we understand him. If you can come up, Brandon. I know these preachers that I'm doing are quite big level kind of stuff, but I, I really, I'm really praying that God is turning something on inside of us, friends. I'm, I'm praying that we're getting a revelation of the throne. Don't try to put him in a box. Just worship him. Sing of his glory. Let your life reflect who he is. Not just in our singing, but in our living. Everything comes into perspective when we have a glimpse of the throne. And John now has to go on for the rest of the book of Revelation and say some hectic stuff. But what else can he do? He's seen the throne. See, all these prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah, what else can they do? They've had a glimpse of the throne. They can't but say and be courageous and strong in this moment. They have to. Nothing. It's all in perspective again. And I pray that our worship will bring perspective to our pain and bring perspective to our poverty and bring perspective to COVID-19 and the plagues and would bring perspective to all of this because friends, He's God Almighty, the one who has His hand on everything. Can we stand, please? And just, just end in a song of worship. We're going to sing that song that I've been worshiping too.
greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We fall down. We fall down. We lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. Is Oh, 
Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Even now, Lord God, I can hardly get through that song without just crying my eyes out, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord God, to see you, Lord. And I pray that your presence, your holy presence, your awesome presence, your thundering and lightning presence, but yet your crystal glass, perfectly calm presence would evoke worship in our hearts, Lord. As we begin to try to describe who you are, Lord God, that you would get all the glory, Lord. Take off our crowns, Lord. Any achievement, any victory was yours, Lord. We humble ourselves on our face before you, Lord. And we just declare, God, you are worthy. You are worthy, O oh God, of glory and honor and power. You are creator, God, and the one that sustains all that you've created. We honor you, Lord. Bless you, Jesus. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you for living and dying so that we can have a relationship with this God. In your wonderful name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.